Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. For the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Would you join me as we pray God's blessing over the teaching and the hearing of his word this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can go to your word and we can discover more about you. And in discovering more about you, Father, we discover more about ourselves. I pray that each of us in this place, even now, would open our hearts to your Holy Spirit in a very real way. I pray, Father, that as we examine your word, that we would take this opportunity to examine our lives. And that as a result of that, Father, we would go from this place changed by it. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I wanted to take the opportunity this morning to tell you guys something about me that um, you might not know. Um, I wear contacts. Interesting fact, huh? Uh, and I wear contacts because I need to wear contacts. How many of you guys have contacts and you need to wear contacts? Like I wake up in the morning and, um, and it's one of those things where I wake up every morning and, and I forget that I wear contacts and I wake up and I go, I'm blind. <laughs> and, and, then I, and then I go and I put my contacts in and, um, and I can see. I was, uh, I was talking to someone the other day about how often I think um, that if we ever became a, a post-apocalyptic world um, where we had to rebuild society from scratch, is it weird that I think about that often? Um, I would be, uh, I, I, I know that I would be pretty useless uh, in that world and not and not because I probably don't know how to make a wheel or create fire, let alone build a waterproof dwelling and hunt for food, but because without going to 1-800-CONTACTS.COM and ordering my vision every few months, uh, I'd be stumbling around in the wilderness, not being able to tell if that brownish area with points is my neighbor or a bear. I'm, I'm pretty convinced I'd be the first, uh, the first of 20 people eaten when society ran out of food. Not a lot of people are, are trying to build society and saying, all we need right now is a sermon. <laughs> I say this with, with, the, with a deep conviction that without proper vision, it's tough to make it in this world. Um, and I say this because as I contemplate this special week, our annual um, fervent week of prayer, 
I realize that the topic we are ultimately discussing, the, the activity that, that, that we're, we're ultimately seeking to engage in is fundamentally about focus. And, um, and as much like what I just talked about, it's central to our survival. It's really about refocusing and continuing to focus clearly on the world around us, um, on the life we live, on the hope we have, and the inability to, to see well and, and to see rightly. That, that's a threat in the natural world, but it's just as much of a threat in our spiritual existence, in our, in our, in our spiritual life, in, this, in our spiritual survival. To not see clearly, to not see rightly, to not have a clarity of spiritual vision is just as dangerous as to not have that vision in the natural world. Donald Sahaley places what I'm talking about, I think, in proper perspective. I think he lays the groundwork for our discussion this morning when he says, Fervent prayers seeking forgiveness and special help and direction are essential to our lives and the nourishment of our testimonies. When we become hurried, repetitive, casual, or forgetful in our prayers, we tend to lose the closeness of the spirit, which is so essential in the continual direction we need to successfully manage the challenges of our everyday lives. I want you guys to understand that. I want, I want you guys to hear that again. He's saying that, that a fervency of prayer, a, a, a regularity of prayer in which we are deeply engaged in our prayer is essential in the continual direction we need to successfully manage the challenges of our everyday lives. He's talking about the need to have a prayer life that allows us to see things clearly every day in our life. To see circumstances clearly, to see relationships clearly, to understand the world properly. We have to be engaged in fervency of prayer. What he's doing is he's connecting directly the, the practice of fervent prayer to our engagement with the challenges of life. And he's doing this because the practice of fervency in prayer focuses our minds. It, it focuses our hearts and our lives properly as Christ followers. As we talk about this, I really want you guys to, to begin to look at your life. To begin to think about your life. Begin to examine the things in your, in your life, the circumstances, the relationships, what's going on. And ask yourselves, do I see these things through the lens that God has given me in my walk with him? Or do I see them with a vision that mirrors everyone else around me? I want, I, what, I, what I want you to get from what I'm saying, I think is important because this is central to the challenge we face individually and corporately as followers of Christ. When we as followers of Christ live lives with the same focus and the same vision as non-Christ followers, 
there is no question that 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 we will we will um, see our experiences and see ourselves with a lack of spiritual clarity. It, it's going to be so much like me in the morning looking in the mirror. Every morning I look in the mirror and I look good until I put my contacts in. And I get a clearer vision of reality. It's no different when it comes to our spiritual vision. If we, if we spend our lives viewing our value, our self-worth, our purpose with the eyes of natural being, with, with eyes that are tuned to human approval, physical pleasure, and personal accomplishments, we then will follow after what we see through that lens. We'll, we'll, we'll pursue things with that vision, with that understanding. But at the core of the Christian experience is the admission that the natural view is not the proper view. At the core of being a Christ follower is the admission that the natural view is not the right view. You see, the word of God tells us that the process of coming to Christ is the renewal of the mind by the work of the Holy Spirit, is, is a change in mind, is a change of vision, is a change of view, that we become renewed in our mind in the way in which we think about things, in the way in which we perceive things, in the way in which we value things. That is what it means to follow Christ. We find that, that the purpose of our lives is, is to bring glory to God. We, we, we find that our self-worth is in Christ's acceptance of us. We see our relationships as a means of emulating Christ's gospel and our circumstances as an opportunity to learn more deeply about the precepts of the faith of God. Do you understand the differences that I just described? We don't look at circumstances and say, these circumstances make me feel bad, so they are bad. We look at our circumstances and we say, these circumstances allow me to share in the sufferings of Christ so I may know him more deeply. You understand the word of God tells us that. And if you don't have that vision, if you don't have that understanding of the life you live because of the spiritual reality you have in Christ, it all looks weird. It all looks odd. It all looks just a bit out of focus. The, the word of God tells me that, that God, the creator of the universe, through the work of Jesus Christ, has accepted me and has called me and has chosen me. Is there a greater place to find your value and your worth than in that? But we look at ourselves and we say, he doesn't like me or she doesn't like me or that person's rejected me and we feel bad about ourselves. Jesus has me. Jesus has called me. Jesus has received me. Doesn't matter what others think. It is a completely different vision. And when we lose sight of that focus, when we lose sight of that vision, we lose sight of what Christ has done in us. Coming to Christ means everything changes. 
But the problem is that too often we abandon the, the practices that focus our eyes on the spiritual because we are too engaged in emulating the world. And the world simply can't see the things of Christ. Can't see the reality that we have in Jesus. And that's ultimately why I want to challenge you guys this week with returning to practices that provide the clarity of vision we need to have. Many of us are, are stumbling about in faith because everything is blurry. But Jesus Christ ha has provided us the practice of spiritual fervency to provide the right focus to see the, the clarity of the life he has for us. And so this morning and this week, I, I want to challenge us in two areas that we as a congregation need to take up. Two areas we need to take up, not just this week, but throughout this entire year. If you want to walk in the Spirit, if you want to see things the way Christ sees things, if you want to have a clarity of spiritual vision that allows you to, to take in the information of your life, the circumstances of your life, the, the, the relationships within your life, in a way that allows you to see them the way Christ sees them, it is so important that you practice the spiritual disciplines with a fervency you've never had before. And that's my challenge to you. The first challenge of fervency is to faithful prayer. Now, as we get to the topic of fervency and prayer, I, I, want, I want you to remember the, the whole backdrop of this conversation. The whole framework for this is the establishment of a clarity of vision for Christian living. And, and, when you, and when you stay aware of that, it becomes self-evident why fervency in prayer is so essential to that. What I'm saying is, if this is about seeing things through the eyes of Christ to give you a clarity of the spiritual world, the fervency of prayer is, it, it is self-evident why that's important. I want you to go back to the passage we read, and I want you to see something that too often it gets complicated, but it is really powerful when it stays in its simple, simple form. The passage we just read said this, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil, of the, with the oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed sin, sins, then he shall be forgiven. It says here, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord will raise him up, and they will be forgiven. Now, this is where I think we begin to overcomplicate this passage, and I think it's important for us to understand the simplicity of what's being stated here for us to have a proper view of our prayer life. So much has been written on defining what is the prayer of faith. Have you ever struggled with that? People come to this and they say, we need to pray with the prayer of faith. And we write articles about it, and we write books about it, and we wrestle with it. We come back and forth and we go, what is the prayer of faith? How do, how do I pray the prayer of faith? 
We land on this thing, and for many of us, we feel this spiritual inadequacy because we come to this thing, and we go, I haven't figured out how to pray the prayer of faith. I think we're overcomplicating what the passage is saying. I think we're making a far bigger deal about this than what is being made by the author of this passage. Because I don't really believe that the passage provides a lot of room for that speculation. It says, if there is anyone sick, pray for him, and that prayer or that prayer of faith will provide salvation, will provide resurrection, and will provide forgiveness. I'm saying this, I'm saying this for, 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 for a broad reason, and we'll get into it a little bit further, but I want you guys to understand that it basically just says what it says. It says, pray for the sick, and the prayer of faith will, will, will heal them, will raise them up, will give them forgiveness. What I'm trying to say to you is this. The act of prayer is the prayer of faith. The act of prayer is the prayer of faith. So many of us struggle with faith. And so when we get down into the minutia of this kind of debate or this kind of fight, uh, we, 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 we worry that we have enough faith. And I don't think we need to do that. The word of God says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. How many of you guys ever struggle and, and, and are worried that you don't have enough faith? I know I do. And I, and, I, and I see it manifested in my life all the time. There are times in my life when I struggle with, with, with worrying about my health. I, I struggle with worrying about my finances. Listen, I'm a pastor, and I can tell you with complete and total conviction, I struggle with, with things in the church all the time. Having enough faith to do where, what God wants us to do or go where God wants us to go. We're right now in the middle of a we're right now in the middle of a a, a building situation. And ask anyone close to me, and they will tell you that over the last four or five months of this, I've struggled with faith. We have this issue all the time and say, do I have enough faith? The re- I want you guys to realize something. We struggle with faith, but the, 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 the answer to, the starting point, is the very act of honest prayer is an act of faith. It is the prayer of faith. The reason why I'm pointing this out to you is, is that the act of honest prayer, and that's all it is, Honestly coming before God and saying, God, I, w- I need you in this moment. I need you in this circumstance. That is the prayer of faith. That is faith. It is coming to God and saying, Heavenly Father, I need you. I need your touch in my life. I need you to move in my life. It is us acknowledging that that God is our Heavenly Father to whom we have access by the work of Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Praying is the prayer of faith when we believe that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. 
The reason I point this out is I believe it's closely related to the framework I want us to talk about as it relates to prayer. The act of praying in faith is the foundation of clarity of vision in this blurred world. Because the act of praying rightly orders your understanding of your spiritual reality. The prayer of faith acknowledges God as Lord. The the prayer of faith acknowledges that God is over it all. The prayer of faith acknowledges that God is in control. Do you see what I'm saying? I go to God because I believe that God is the one I need to go to. I go to God because I believe that God is the one who can make a difference. I go to God because I believe everything in this world is ordered under his authority. And that provides a clarity of spiritual understanding that other people don't have. You know why other people don't go to God? Because they don't trust that God has control over it. They don't believe that God is the one who is sovereign, that God is the one who is in control. The prayer of faith acknowledges that God is Lord, that God is over it, that God is sovereign. That is at the center of the prayers that we pray in faith. Let me illustrate that for you by looking at Christ's greatest teaching on the topic of prayer when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. Jesus goes to his disciples and and in turn is turning to us and he says, I want you to pray like this. This is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Even as I read that, doesn't it jump out at you about how this prayer gives you clarity of vision of the world around you? He, he begins like Jesus says, I want you to pray like this. And as he tells us how to pray, look at each of the statements that are being made, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just, just in that, he's saying, you are holy, you are venerated, you are pure. You are the one who is Father. You're over it all. Our Heavenly Father, God, hallowed are you. You are to be worshipped. You, you are to be honored. You are to be venerated. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What does that do? It makes us subjugated to his will. It says, he says, it's not about what I want. It, it's, not about, it's not about the circumstances play out the way I want the circumstances to play out. It's not, that, but that, it's not that my situation and everything is what I want. It's standing and saying, I am submitted to you. I'm subject to you. Your will be done. 
I'm coming to you and I'm laying this all out and it's all cool and it's all fine. Not my will, but your will. How many of you find yourselves at times needing to get that refocus? How often do we in our own spiritual existence and our spiritual walk stomp our feet and demand that we get our way? How many of you guys know that is not a clear that is not a clear view of our spiritual reality, but that is a reality that we've adopted from a worldly view. Right? Not my will, but your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. What a different view, isn't it? What a different view of our spiritual reality. Who is your provider? Who is your provider? Who is it that you trust to bring to you that which you need? Give us this day our daily bread. And even within that declaration, there, there, there's so much spiritual depth that we need to have if we're going to really understand the lives we're supposed to live. He, he's literally saying, Lord, every single day I trust you that for this day you'll give me the bread I need. He's, he's saying, Lord, give me enough for this day. It, 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 it's, it's the prayer of the manna. You guys remember that, right? How did, how, how did God provide for the Israelites in the desert? Every morning they provided what they needed for that day, and that was it. And you know why? Because the next day it required them to be dependent upon God again. And the next day it required them to be dependent upon God again. And the next day it required them to be dependent upon God again. We have a very different non-spiritual view of that existence, don't we? If we don't have long-term security, we're in turmoil. And so therefore, our, our, our entire provision is about what I can do for myself to create enough security in my life so that I can be at peace. But this gives us a completely different view of the spiritual, doesn't it? I trust God today. And I trust him for my tomorrow and my tomorrow's tomorrow and my tomorrow's tomorrow's tomorrow. Because it's not in me, it's not for me, it's not by me. He's the hallowed father. He's the one whose will needs to be played out. And he's the one who will be my provider through it all. Do you see the very different world that we have when we understand what it is to come to prayer? And then he says, and then it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The mindset is, listen, there needs to be a humility. There needs to be a lack of arrogancy. We live in, a, we live in, this, in this natural understanding, this, this secular reality. Uh, and, and if you're going to be honest with yourself, you know this is true. We have a certain level of self-righteousness. We look at people all the time, and we feel like we're good people, aren't we? I, deep down in our hearts, we believe that. We look at everyone else around us, and we think that they're idiots. Well, not everybody, but most everybody. Or at least if we don't think that as our starting point, we get there pretty quickly, don't we? 
any of you are like me when you're driving. <laughs> right? We really do. We, we're, really comfortable, we're really comfortable looking in the mirror and going, I'm not that bad of a person, but they, they're idiots. I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they would say that. I can't believe they would act that way. I would never act that way. Right? We go into this place because we look and we have a certain self-confidence, we have a certain self-arrogance self about, about our, our moral superiority on so many different levels. Because we look at the people through our eyes of right and wrong instead of realizing we're the ones who need Jesus because we're so wrong. You understand that how Jesus Christ leads us in this act of prayer, and he says, when you understand, when you engage in prayer, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're straight, straightening out your view, your vision, and aligning it with the spiritual as opposed to the secular. As you look at this, you can see unequivocally how prayer clarifies your spiritual vision in a blurry world. Every single step that Jesus gave us as the act of prayer reframes, refocuses your view of who you are and who Christ is and, how, and who the world is and how your, what your circumstances are. Prayer itself has the power to rightly align oneself under the lordship of God. The, the act of bowing your head and bending your knee is the very stature of a subject before the king. It's saying, I can't do this. I'm not in control of this. I am not my own salvation. I am not my own provider. I am a sinner who needs your forgiveness and who needs to forgive others. When we go to prayer, we see ourselves rightly, our experiences rightly, our circumstances rightly, our relationships rightly, rightly in view of the spiritual reality we have in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if you're neglecting times of fervent prayer, it is no wonder you are struggling in your spiritual walk, and it's no wonder you can't see things clearly. We are wandering around in the wilderness without our contacts. We are wandering around in the wilderness, unable to see whether that's a tree or a bear. We are wandering around in the wilderness, unable to know what the right way to go is because we have, we have abandoned the clarity that comes when we engage with God in prayer, in the prayer of faith, in the prayer that rightly orders our lives. If you're not in continual prayer, if you're not in the practice of the fervency of prayer, there is no wonder you're struggling in your walk. Period. There isn't much more to it than that. That's the starting point. Come to him. Confess to him. Trust in him. The very act of the honesty of prayer rightly orders your view of the world. There's a second challenge that I want to lay before us this morning. And again, not just for this week, but for this year and moving forward in our lives. 
It's one that we don't talk about much and one that we as individual believers practice probably even less than we talk about it. I want to challenge us to a fervency and mindful fasting. The first thing I said is, is we need to be challenged to a fervency and faithful prayer. And the second thing is a fervency and mindful fasting. And I bring this up this morning, not simply because I think it is a good idea to mention. And I bring it up this morning, not simply because we, we're entering into the, to the week of fervent prayer and, and we've always taken at least one day to try and focus in on fasting for that. But I bring this up fully convinced that this is a word from the Holy Spirit specifically for us as a church at this moment. I bring this up because I have the conviction that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us as individuals and corporately as Mercy Hill Church in this moment at this time around this idea. Now, now, fasting is something that the American church does rarely. But it really is fascinating to note uh, Jesus Christ's approach to fasting as it relates to his followers. Jesus assumes um, his, father, his followers will fast and, and even promises that it will happen. He doesn't say if, but when you fast. In Matthew chapter 6. He, he doesn't say his followers might fast. But he says they will fast in Matthew chapter 9. So the idea behind fasting as it relates to Jesus' expectation for us. Is that that is what a follower of Jesus Christ does. Now I want you to think about this. And I want you to think about this in, in relationship to your walk up to this point in your life. Jesus' expectation, his belief, his understanding that the practice of the believer, the practice of the follower of Christ, will include the practice of fervency and fasting. And apparently the disciples got that message. Because as you walk through the book of Acts, time and time and time and time and time and time again, you see that the disciples, that the apostles, that the church would spend time fasting and praying. You can go all throughout the book of Acts, and, and there's all these different moments for different reasons at different times in which the body came together and said they, they, they fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit led them. They fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit moved upon them. They fasted and prayed and the Holy Spirit directed them. We have to understand that the act of fasting and praying is something that Jesus expects of us as followers of Christ, and it's something that seems to always precede the move of the Holy Spirit in a special way, giving special direction. And so I bring to us, as Mercy Hill Church, what I believe is a message from the Holy Spirit for us at this time and in this moment. And I'm asking you as I go into this, that you open your heart to this. Whatever else you've done in your past as it relates to this spiritual discipline, I want you in this moment to open your hearts and your minds and your lives and your spirit to this because the Holy Spirit may have something for you in it. Now, the most basic definition of Christian fasting 
is the abstinence from food and or drink as an element of spiritual devotion. And that devotion is, is the acknowledgement of the need for God's intervention. It's coming to this place and saying, I need you to speak, I need you to move. But I want you guys to hear um, an explanation of fasting from, from Eugene Merrill that I think mirrors the points I've been making. He gives this idea and he says, this is why we do it. This is, this is why that act is so, so deeply spiritual. And I think as you hear this, you're going to see how it, how it reflects everything I've said to this point about rightly ordering our lives, rightly having the right vision, having the, the right clarity of the spiritual clarity that's needed to make it in this world. He says, fasting suggests a self-denial that opens one to God and to the immaterial aspects of life. Inasmuch as food and drink typify life in the flesh and all its demands and satisfactions, their absence or, or rejection speaks to the reality of a higher dimension, one in which the things of the spirit predominate. The theology of fasting, then, is a theology of priorities in which believers are given the opportunity to express themselves in an undivided and intensive devotion to the Lord and to the concerns of the spiritual life. Do you see the implication? Do you see the action? Do you see the, the working of fasting in our lives is the opportunity in which we say, God, the things of this world are subservient means so much less to me than to the thing than you do. It's the declaration that, man, I find my pleasure in this. I find my sustenance in this. I find, I find my, my existence in this. And so I come to this moment and I say, God, I'm setting that aside because knowing you is more important than having that. Being in you is a greater pleasure than what I receive from that. It is the very real declaration in our lives for a period of time in which we say, God, I want you to know you mean more to me than all of it. The act of fasting, I believe, provides the clarity of vision that focuses our very being on the singular priority in the life of the believer, which is Jesus Christ. I started this conversation on fasting by saying that I bring this up not simply because I think it's a good idea to mention, but I bring this up fully convinced that this is a word from the Holy Spirit specifically for us as a church for this moment. And I say that because God has done, uh, the Holy Spirit has done some alignment in the hearts of leaders at this church over the last several months um, uh, that can't be explained by anything other than the Holy Spirit. Uh, several months ago, um, the Holy Spirit began to move on my heart about fasting. And I, and I went to Phil, and I mentioned to Phil, who oversees the prayer ministry here, and I said, I just feel like God wants us to do something as it relates to fasting as a church. And he says, well, it's funny you say that because the Holy Spirit was moving on my heart and the Holy Spirit started moving on the hearts of some members of our 
of our prayer team. And so we've already begun to fast and pray specifically for the building, specifically for the leadership of this church. And then we were, in, we were in staff prayer and Pastor Kevin came to us on, outside of all these conversations and he says, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me and I've been convicted because I believe over the last couple of months I've supposed to start entering into a time of prayer and fasting and, um, and I haven't. So I want you guys to hold me accountable because I believe that God wants us to be in prayer and fasting. And, and then we began to talk about this as an elder group, and we said, I feel like God may be leading us in this, this direction, and we feel like this may be something that God wants us to do. And we kind of shared that in, a, in, a, in an email thread, and, uh, and it was funny because we hadn't talked about this before, but but Larry Moore, who's one of our elders, sent me an email, and he says, it's funny you say that because over the last month or two, the Holy Spirit has moved on me and Carol, and we've started to fast one day a week because we felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do that. And then last night as I was preparing my message, as I'm preparing writing specifically about fasting, I get an email from somebody who said, I, I want you guys to know that this may be something the Holy Spirit's doing um, because there's two, two young folks in our congregation that didn't know anything about this, and the Holy Spirit moved on them, and they've committed to a, to a two-week fast, um, specifically as it relates to um, the church and, and who we are and where we're going. You guys begin to see a pattern here? But even prior to all this, there were two, two members of our congregation um, that felt that they had a specific word for the Lord for us, and as it relates to fasting, the Holy Spirit had spoken to their hearts. And they passed along an encouragement to us as elders. And I want to read it to you guys, um, read it to you guys now. Dear Mercy Hill Church, we have felt the conviction over the past few months that the Spirit of God wants to move in a new and special way this year. And that he is calling us as a church to fast as a key to this movement. Webster's Dictionary defines a fast to abstain from all or certain foods. Bruce McCollum's spiritual discipline states that a biblical fast is voluntary, personal, or public abstinence from food for an extended period of time. Other abstentions from natural desires are not fast. Skipping Netflix is to pray is great, but it isn't considered fasting. Fasting is the practice of choosing to abstain from food for spiritual reasons or purposes. You might, however, have to put off other things to find time to pray during your time of fasting. For further clarification, fasting is not an act of self-purification. It is not self-mortification, but a spirit-led practice of self-denial to seek, desire, and to prepare ourselves for him, his will, his purposes for each of us individually and as a church. Fasting will cause many of your, your thoughts to go towards food, which can then be re redirected towards prayer. As you go through your day and are, are tempted to break your fast, you can use scripture that inspires you toward what you are praying for to answer the doubt or temptation you are having. Or you can simply address your thoughts. We desire spiritual abundance more than physical. We need breakthrough more than we need food. We desire you, God, 
above all else. We believe that God is calling us to fast on behalf of an outpouring of his Holy Spirit to bring healings and breakthroughs of all kinds. We also believe that there is an element of humbling and repentance that God is desiring. In Pastor Tom's sermon from January 6th, he encouraged us as believers to turn from our vain things to the living God. During this week, we can pray and examine ourselves and repent of putting our hope in anything other than God. Please join us this week as we pray and fast together as a church. I'm asking you guys, um, alongside these dear sisters, and more importantly, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to join together in the fervency of prayer and the fervency of fasting and see what God might do and see him more clearly. We have spent a lot of our lives viewing everything through the eyes of this world. And if we were honest with ourselves, you would know that's true. And we spent very little time intentionally saying, I want to see things through your eyes. I want to know these things the way, the way you want me to know them. I want to see things the way you want me to see them. So I'm asking you, first and foremost, as followers of Jesus Christ, committed, desirous to know him, to take seriously this week this call. Each of us are going to have, ha, have different um, expressions, leadings of the Holy Spirit, I think, as it relates to what this means. Um, but each of us will have opportunity to decide how we're going to live this out. Whether we're going to engage in fervency of prayer and fervency of fasting or not. I'm giving you the opportunity to say yes or no. You may have heard on the, the video announcements that next week we'll have a time of prayer, an open house of prayer from 6 to 9 o'clock on Saturday. What we traditionally ask of people is that we take that 24 hours, that we start with the prayer at 6 o'clock and we take 24 hours as a church to fast together and then break that fast um, at the gathering on Sunday night. Um, throughout this week, I've determined that I'm going to spend the week um, basically fasting from sun up to sundown in addition to that 24 hours. But for you, maybe just fasting a meal every day. Um, maybe it's taking one day, maybe it's just taking that Saturday, whatever it might be. But I believe that God wants to do something in your life. I really do. I've always believed that. I, every time you come into this place, the conviction I have in my spirit is that God wants to do something in your life. I wouldn't be doing that, this. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be getting up here every Sunday. I wouldn't have committed my life to this if I didn't believe that every time you came in this place, God wanted to do something in you. 
And for most of us, the thing that gets in the way is our unwillingness to let go of the ways of this world. God wants to do something in your life. How much do you want him to do something? 